1: What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys are having a fantastic week. Um, Great show today. I was joined by Andrew Donaldson from Ordinary Times. um, And it was a good chat. We have been trying to get Andrew on for a while, and uh, it finally worked out. And, uh, yeah, I think you guys will enjoy it. We talked uh, impeachment. We talked some foreign policy. We talked about uh, everybody's least favorite cop. Kamala Harris dropping out of the race. Uh, yeah, covered a lot of ground. So uh, before I get to Andrew, guys, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play. If you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate it. And if you like what you're hearing and want to get involved, hit us up over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Podcast. All right. Without further ado, here is my chat with Andrew Donaldson. <laughs> All right, guys. We're here with my friend Andrew Donaldson from Ordinary Times. Andrew, thanks so much for taking the time, my brother.
0: Hey, Brave, We talked about it for a while. I'm glad we finally get to sit down and talk.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah, we've been talking about uh, doing a podcast for, for a couple months now, I think. So I'm glad that uh, timing finally worked out. So, uh, all right. I- I'm sorry to bring you down, Andrew, but uh, we're, we're going to have to talk a little bit about a couple topics that I've been ignoring <laughs> disdainfully for the past couple months because they don't really matter. But uh today begins another round of impeachment hearings uh this time in the House Judiciary Committee. I haven't really talked much about these impeachment hearings because they don't really matter. But before we dive into it, is is there anything today or this week more generally that we should be paying attention to? In your estimation, is there anything worthwhile going on on Capitol Hill right now or is it just a bunch of nonsense?
0: Well, it's it's the the historians me, always finds it interesting, but I'm just a glutton for punishment like that because it is something you don't get to see very often. Although right. this is my second one now, because I, my first, the first election I got a vote in was '98, which was the midterm before the the spring impeachment of uh, President Clinton. So this is kind of my second go-around. So I actually kind of find it interesting to watch the machinations of it. But yeah, in the grand scheme of things, not a lot's really going on. They've moved it over to the to the judicial committee today. Uh, that's just Nadler's committee. Um, it took them all of about 10 minutes to start devolving into motions and things. They've got three um, constitutional law experts um, testifying today. Um, so it's it's not going – there's not going to be any bombshell testimony today. Today's all procedural. But again, to your point, there's just not going to be a lot of new information here. We we know what, what happened here. Um, anybody honestly knows what happened here. There was a phone call. We know what Trump said. He's admitted it. He's said it out loud. We, we know all the facts. And now you're just into this machination of how are they going to get to the actual impeachment articles? And we have the polling that not very many people's minds are going to change on this. Um, so, no, I mean, we, you can watch it for the for the action of it. But is it really changing anything? Probably not. Um, the poll numbers are going to stay the same. Most Americans, they just did the polling. Where 65% of them said they can't imagine anything happening now that's going to change their mind in any way, shape, or form. That's both sides: people that do want impeachment, people that don't want impeachment. So this this really is political theater until it gets to the voting part, and then, then it's going to be interesting because you had two Democrats vote against the impeachment inquiry. So does that number go up? Because I think, uh, don't quote me on this. I think they can spare like 17 votes and still get it passed so is there going to be more democrats on one cover that's something to watch for but until then no this is mostly just kabuki theater to get to what they actually want to do which is the articles of impeachment
1: they'll probably still impeach the president but oh they, they have to like you said uh, they can only lose 17 votes in the house there's a there's a chance a smaller chance but i think there is a chance that they don't even have enough votes that, that this impeachment goes down in flames because you know, I, I actually disagree with you on the polling numbers. I think that support for impeachment is actually going to tick down a little bit because that's already oh, started yeah. like nationally support for impeachments at like 45, 46%, but it's actually much lower in the swing States. If you look at like yes. Iowa, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Florida, it's in the low forties, like high thirties, low forties. And, that's a disaster. That's not yes. only a disaster for the Democratic Party in their hopes to unseat Trump, but there's a lot of Democratic Congress people in those swing states that, yes. <laughs> like, how the hell? I mean, and here's the thing. Obviously, Nancy Pelosi is an extremely powerful uh, Speaker of the House, and she is the, the main fundraiser for the Democratic Party. So she does, she can threaten these people into voting for impeachment, but these Democratic Congress people they're not complete morons. I mean they're not they're not like wow. mentally handicapped or something. They know that they have nothing. They know that Trump hasn't done anything impeachable and they know that their constituents don't support it. So it's like I, I don't know, man. I think they're they're signing their own death warrant career-wise by voting for this. I don't I think there is a chance. I think Pelosi will be able to strong arm them into supporting impeachment no matter what probably um by you know threatening to cut off the purse strings when they run for re-election but sure. i don't know, there there's a chance the polling numbers look bad enough in these swing states that uh you know a lot of these you know purple district congressmen have to back down
0: i don't know i don't think they're going to lose the house over it at least this cycle although you know who knows what's going to happen in the next year um but it's it's always actions not words with our political leaders so look at everything Nancy Pelosi did leading up to this her actions and the way she went about it, she didn't want anything to do with this. She really didn't, and she's smart. This is her second time with the gavel. This is her last time with the gavel. She's getting up there with age. This is, this is legacy kind of time with her, and she really probably doesn't want to deal with this at all, but she kind of has to. She's just in the corner with it, but her actions leading up to this was she doesn't really want to do it, and you especially don't want to do it running into an election year, but they have to. They're in the corner of it now. They they've they have They can't back out of it now. How they would absolutely have a riot in their base, and the other the other part of this that's always interesting is you, we talk about the numbers, and I, I really do wonder how many people they will let have cover on this. And um, Ohio was another one of those where the numbers were really bad. Um, we we know about the Rust Belt from 2016, Wisconsin and Hillary, and all that sort of thing. You know, do they do they really get if there people cover on some of this, how ugly is it going to get? Because the more this drags out – there's this quote from Newt Gingrich from the last impeachment I keep coming back to over and over and over again where he just kind of threw up his hands after they got – they lost 20-some seats in that midterm. And he said, I just lost – I just didn't – I underestimated – I'm paraphrasing here. I underestimated how much people just tune it out 24 hours a day, TV and radio, the coverage – and how it just all becomes this one big ball of repugnant noise to people. And that's before we had internet, and that's before we had what we have now. I think the numbers are going to go down a little bit, especially because there's just not there's no new information out there on this. So I I agree with you on that part. I don't know how we've never done this in an election year for president, so there's an unknown here, but I don't see it helping the Democrats, I can see a path where it definitely helps the Republicans and helps Donald Trump because his fundraising numbers are unreal. And the Democratic fundraising numbers are hurting. And that's a real number more than the polls on impeachment, which, you know, they kind of tell you where the country is, but it doesn't really tell you that's not a power number. Those fundraising numbers are power numbers. And Trump is wiping the floor with people fundraising off this impeachment stuff.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, it, it's hard to tell what fundraising numbers really mean. You know, yeah. in the in the grand scheme of things, obviously money's not everything. Uh, Hillary Clinton spent over double what what President Trump spent in the in the 2016 cycle. Sure did. But the Democrats always outspend Republicans two to one. You know, in in off-year yep. elections and presidential elections, I think going back to like Reagan '84 was like the last time that uh. uh uh, fundraising numbers were even comparable between the two parties. So, man, if <laughs> let's say Trump outraises whatever Democrat he's running against, I mean, he won 30 states last time around. Could he win 33, 34? Maybe. I, I mean, like, yeah. if, if he was outspent two to one, for goodness sakes. Like, if I don't know, man, it, it, it could be a blowout for, for Republicans. I mean, who knows? It, we're way too far out to know. But look, man. <laughs> you almost have to respect the Democrats a little bit. You have to hand it to them because they have absolutely nothing with this impeachment (laughs) nonsense. They have nothing. They know they have nothing. And they're impeaching the president of the United States anyway. (laughs) They're just doing it anyway due to their insatiable lust for power. Like they have this primal, obsessive desire to take away your freedoms and they will stop at nothing to do it. And I, I don't know, man, in some weird way, I feel like people on the right the GOP can learn from this like I wish the right fought as hard to defend the Constitution as the left does to destroy it if that makes any sense like I feel like Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy and these guys should be like man look at these bloodthirsty monsters on on the left like we kind of need to use those tactics but for the good of the American people I don't know does that make any sense
0: to to pull the old trope out that's how you got Trump Right. Was well he fights well we hate this and this and this and this. you know we we talk about like, the the news coverage over and over well the president lied sixty two times today and he lied there people are not there there's always that 25, 30 percent of sick offense but most people know who Donald Trump is we have seventy years of book on Donald Trump he's a very high profile guy before he ever everybody knows who he is is what his character is, and other than the people that are just, you know, total followers. They they understand who he is. And they chose him despite that, and in some cases for that. And a lot of that was when you talk to people, it was like, well, he fights. Well at least he fights. Well at least he gives it back to him. You know, there there was a huge component of just screw you to the election of Donald J. Trump to the presidency of the US. There was just a large contingent of people that just said screw it. And that's not a data number. I don't know that you can even pull it, but I, I I think there's a lot to that. So when you talk about, we just wanted somebody to finally fight back. That's a that's a that's a that's an above ideology thing. That's a visceral. Well, I'm just tired of getting my head kicked in. I want somebody to throw a punch back. There was a lot to that to Donald Trump's uh, reelection. So I think there's 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 going to be a point before too much longer with this with the impeachment inquiry um we were talking about just the numbers and stuff but they when people start tuning it out and then you have this well at least he fights thing those two things are going to meet and the i'm going to fight is going to win over all that noise stuff and i think people are just going to turn it off and and stake with Donald. let me let me put it to you this way we talk about never trump is there any argument that there there's more Never Trump on the right now than there was in, because I haven't seen it. I've seen a lot of people that were Never Trump in 2016 flip and now support the president, at least tacitly or at least um, say that, well, I still don't like him, but I'm going to vote for him because it's him versus the left. I, I see a lot of that, so I think that support's going to go up. Who is he, he going to lose any votes on this? I don't really think so, not from his base on the right. I just don't see it happening.
1: Yeah, I mean the the never Trump movement on the right has definitely gotten much much smaller. Uh, I mean, there's guys like me that really didn't like Trump, but yeah. voted for him reluctantly. You know, and I've had a lot of guests on the show, a lot of commentators on the show that have said, "Yeah, I didn't vote for him, but I'm voting for him this time." You know, even guys like Ben Shapiro, like high profile guys like that, that did not yeah. vote for Trump, that said they are voting for him now. And there are a few. I mean, there's there's a few guys out there still, but. Um, That are holding out. But it's such a small percentage of of Republicans. And look, so we'll move on from impeachment because I don't really care about it. It's it's not really it doesn't even move the needle for me. But like just because I haven't talked about it much, I'll 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 talk a little bit why I about why I don't care about this impeachment nonsense. Just so on the record, just so my opinions are out there on the record. So they want to impeach Trump because he had a conversation and asked for a quid pro quo with the president of Ukraine. I have no problem with that. (laughs) Like, I don't. Quid pro quos are good. Trump should withhold aid from everyone. Everyone. I don't want my stolen tax dollars going to Ukraine anyway. So Trump should have asked for more quid pro quos. They should have asked for more favors from the president of Ukraine. You know what I mean? I wish he actually would have withheld foreign aid. Like, why? Why are we giving them billions of our taxpayer dollars? Who knows? I don't know. Like, I, I'm down for supporting Israel, and that's about it when it comes to foreign aid. Like, I think everybody else should just kind of figure it out for, them, for their damn selves, you know? I, it, whatever. It, I, quid pro quos are good. We should have a quid pro quo in every relationship with every foreign country. Like, I'm sorry. That's not impeachable. In fact, I think that's a good thing. So, like, if that— that's where I'm starting here. And the same yeah. people that, like, look, Barack Obama drone-bombed a 16-year-old American citizen in Yemen. Okay, like, he, he literally murdered a 16-year-old American citizen without due process, right? So, and that's not whataboutism. I mean, this is just common senseism. So if you didn't call for Barack Obama's impeachment when he committed first-degree murder, and you're calling for Trump's impeachment... For having a conversation with the leader of a country that doesn't matter, I'm sorry. You're like you deserve to be laughed at and mocked. Like you're not a serious thinking person that should be taken seriously on any level. If that makes sense.
0: No, it makes sense. And and you you uh you are far more isolationist than I am. And you practically make me into a, go- a little shill, even though I'm kind of more traditional conservative <laughs> with foreign aid. It it here here. Something like the Ukraine is such a complex thing that people. If you want to go chasing corruption in Ukraine, I'm I'm all down for you know full tilt boogie for freedom and justice, but that's a bipartisan swamp of stuff that's ran through Ukraine for the better part of the last 25 years. Like right. you're never you're never going to get clean water out of that well. You're just not because they're all dirty. You know Russia basically ran it through a proxy before they elected Zelensky, and let's not even go down that rabbit hole because it really doesn't matter and people's eyes are going to roll in the back of your head they don't care you know it they're all dirty Russia is a threat to our country absolutely they are but once you talk to all that and you talk about foreign policy with people we, you know the president people just don't have an appetite for foreign policy right now they just really don't and some of it's left over from the Bush years and the Iraq war and some of that but the mood of the country right now is very internally based. Right. And, and I just don't think people are paying a lot of attention to I do because I care. You know, I'm that's just my mindset and I'm a, you know, I'm a sadist like that. I like to spend my time paying attention to what's going on in the water world. Our president, the president of the United States, Donald J. Trump that was hired, he doesn't care about this stuff. He really doesn't. I don't even mean that as a slam. He just doesn't care. He doesn't care about geopolitical robbery. He's all about his agenda and what he's trying to do, and everything he does that permeates that he just doesn't care. You listen to the testimony of these people in his impeachment, their main gripe is, well, he doesn't care what we say about Ukraine. I was like, yeah, you know, he's Donald Trump. He's told you for 70 years he doesn't care what anybody else thinks but what he thinks, and it all fits. So when you're trying to get somebody like that to do very complex foreign policy, it's always going to be some kind of disaster piece like what this turned into. We've talked talked about it before. With, with President Trump, there's always a pattern. He says something really crazy, and then he defends it, and then he modulates it, and then he modulates it again, and then they walk it back and kind of fix it, and then that's what the actual policy happens. Let's take the Turkey pull out, right? Northern Syria. Well, we're just going to pull everybody out. We don't care. Well, we're going to pull these guys out. Well, actually, we're not pulling everybody out. We're going to put these guys over here on the oil. Okay, well, we pulled these guys out, and we're going to send them right back, and then kind of things just went back to where they were very quietly without the outrage. Right. That's probably where you were at with this phone call. He said something on the phone call. They said it. They wanted the to prig, pro it. But just me saying that like that, you're already losing people that just don't care about it. And you're not going to impeach a president on it. They're not going to get anything done with this. Because it's so complicated with what's going on in the Ukraine. You're probably sitting there rolling your eyes in the back of your head like, I don't care about Ukraine. I don't care about Zelensky. I don't care about any of this. Does does it matter in the real world? Yes. In the political world? No, it doesn't matter to people. So you're going to pick your poison. And when you go to vote, I don't think anybody's going to be thinking very much about Ukraine when they vote. I just don't think they're going
1: to. And most people that do it's care— It's It's not that I don't care about the Ukraine and Russia no, and all this stuff. But like most people that do care passionately about foreign policy right now are on the non-interventionist side. Yeah. You know, that's a, a lot of people actually voted for Trump over Hillary because of Hillary's— uh, past obviously getting us into a war in in Libya for absolutely no reason and you know destabilizing half of north and Central Africa right you know what I mean like and, and people saying that saying uh oh, no we've had like twenty straight years of disastrous foreign policy um less let's change it and they 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 voted for Trump to change it and obviously he hasn't really been able to because the CIA tends to get what they want uh, no matter who's in office but you know i I just i this is not this dog's not gonna hunt man for the Democrats no, I- like it's just not I don't know why they're going down this road, but I'm just on face value too. Like, like I said, I, I I'm not saying withhold all foreign aid to everybody. I was being a little facetious no, there, don't. but, I but don't. we, I, I, I was not being facetious when I said quid pro quo's are good. We should be getting I, something from these countries. Like we should be asking for something in return when we're giving countries millions or billions of dollars of, of taxpayer money.
0: We have the presidents over at the NATO summit right now. We should be having a real really serious conversation about NATO right now because it has been a bedrock thing for our country for many years but you now have Turkey basically acting as a proxy for Russia that is a member of NATO which was designed to bulwark against the Soviet Union right and and Putin in his heart and soul just wants the Soviet Union back that's what drives him that that's a really big deal and we're not talking about it and we're not giving it any and we're just giving it lip service like oh yeah NATO Turkey's in NATO you know we saw Erdogan in, uh, march into the Buckingham Palace with everybody else the other night, yeah, like that. If you were really, if you really take foreign policy and what's good for our country, and foreign policy under the view of what keeps our nation safe, that's a big friggin' deal, and nobody's discussing it. There's just not. A, it's lonely out here when you do care about foreign policy, and and there's things you debate it with people of good faith. It, it is lonely right now because the the more isolationist, and I understand the argument, and I respect the argument. It's lonely out here, but until you have serious people in positions to deal with these things seriously, nobody's going to really deal with them seriously.
1: Well, here, here's another thing on foreign policy, and this I haven't brought this up before on the podcast, but I want to hear your opinion on this. Um, yeah. Another thing, and I don't know if this is possible until Vladimir Putin is out of power, because like you said, he is a pro-Soviet, obviously a former KGB guy. Um, no such you know, thing
0: as former KGB guys. Right,
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly, he's a KGB guy. But here's the thing when it comes to Russia and, you know, the entire Democratic Party has has gone full Cold War, like Russia is the boogeyman kind of stuff, which that was the position on the right until five minutes ago. But, you know, whatever. Don't need to get into that. The thing is, moving forward, and I don't know how feasible it is while Putin is still in power, maybe, maybe not, but we're going to have to work with Russia as a bulwark against China. Like, we're going to have to. Like, Russia is not a threat. Their economy is smaller than the economy of the state of Texas. They are basically—they export two things, crude oil and vodka. That's it. You've never driven a Russian car. You've never, you know, you've never watched a Russian TV or played Russian video games or listened to Russian music. They're doing nothing. I mean, their economy is in shambles. Their military is a paper tiger. Their military was a paper tiger in the Cold War, and it's even less powerful now. They're not the threat. They're still a threat now. Yes, they can interfere in elections. They can fuck around in Ukraine and make, you know, Poland and and the Czech Republic and our allies in the region nervous. I get that. And we can't just let Russia do whatever they want. But a day will come that we're going to they're going to have to ally with us. We're going to have to work together against China economically, and yeah. so that's the whole, like, Russia scare tactic stuff, I'm like, alright guys, maybe be careful, because we're actually going to need them. Like, as China's becoming more of a threat, we're going to need Russia on our side probably within the next ten years, and that I mean, that's something that kind of keeps me up at night, I don't want <laughs> you know, but I, I really think uh, that scenario is going to come about sooner than later.
0: China is, a big, is the biggest threat, and, and Russia, what they're doing is Gorilla is the right word, but for China, lack of a better word, China so,
1: is asshole. To uh, to to sum up my position, China. China
0: yeah, that that is one of the great audio quotes. You need to put that out on your Twitter feed. The the Chinese guy doing that is so funny. But <laughs> you, you're talking about Russia, for lack of a better term, let's call it guerrilla stuff. They're doing small stuff worldwide. They've they've switched more to using their their proxies, and they use things like the like the Wagner troops. Um, to go after people. They're, they're doing stuff kind of on the low and nipping at the edges. China's, China is a huge threat. But it, let, let's not even talk about the economics because the economics are what they are, and, and I'm not an economic expert. I just I have to rely on other people next. because I don't have the mind for that. He, here's what we can get to on China really quick. If you're a freedom-loving person, which I am and I know you are, China is one of the great threats to the f- human freedom In our world right now, not just because of the concentration camps they're running and the brutal regime and all that stuff, but the technology things they're doing with their social credit system and their AI and the way they have their entire society locked down. They have the things we're seeing with Hong Kong, the missing piece to a lot of that is the Chinese populace has been so indoctrinated for the last 20, 30 years that they they think any attack on China. the the Communist Party of China is an attack on every single Chinese and it's all homogenous. You are never, I don't know how you're breaking that wall for at least a generation. It's, It's not even the Cold War because technology kind of broke down the walls to the Cold War and you had cultural interferences that broke down at the end of the Cold War. China has such a hammer lock on information, on the daily lives, the social credit system that they have now where they can just facially scan you and if you do anything politically incorrect, you can't go buy food Uh, um, The the China stuff should be terrifying people, not just what they're doing to the Muslim population. We know how they've persecuted Christians and other religious sects for years and years and years. We know what they did during the Great Leap Forward where they starved and killed millions and millions of their own people.
1: Largest genocide in human history.
0: Probably. I mean, we'll we'll never know the numbers of Russia and some of the other stuff, but probably a lot of people think that. If if you're a freedom-loving—you know, people— they throw around America first. If you're a freedom-loving person, you cannot support China—not the, the Chinese people. Now, I want to—I want to be specific here. The Chinese government, the Communist Party of China, and the Chinese people that are oppressed by them—they—that is probably the largest threat to freedom that is in the world right now, and we're not doing anything about it. I know the president's doing this trade deal, but he, he's not tying any kind of. You know he's not putting any pressure whatsoever for the Chinese to actually change anything, and in fact, you could argue that um, Xi Jinping has absolutely worked the president to this point in his administration and gotten everything they want because we're just being quiet about it all. We're not saying anything about it. We're not saying anything about human rights. We're not saying anything about their aggression. Although we do, we'll, we'll sail a destroyer through the South China Sea once in a while just to tell them to back off a little bit. But other than that, we're not checking them at all, and that should frighten people that are liberty loving.
1: Well, yeah, it's it, I don't I don't really know what. President Trump should be doing here. I don't know that there's what he can do. I, I can I'm not see it. Yeah, like I, I can see it from several different angles, though. Like I don't know. I mean, you can make the case that Nixon never should have gone to China in the first place. We never should have opened China in the first place. I guess that that's a, you know. But then again, billions of people were, were lifted out of debilitating poverty. So you know, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like I'm a am team people. I'm team human beings. So you know I, I I wouldn't go that far. But like I I just think. A day is coming where we can either take on Russia or take on China and not both. and who's the threat? I mean obviously, technologically speaking and militarily, China is a much greater threat to us than Russia is. And if you just look at the the cultures and the people of Russia and China, like I said, maybe you know maybe nothing good can can come about until Vladimir Putin's gone. but I mean w- which country is is it more feasible that they would liberalize in our yeah. lifetime? obviously Russia and more obviously Russia because yeah, China is not, they're so. not even showing signs that that's possible. I mean, the the, no. the the Chinese communist party is as strong as it's ever been. And I I don't know, like I, we're going to need to work with one of these against the other. And it's going to be us working with Russia against China. That, that That's my only point. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know when that's going to happen, but I do think that day is coming.
0: And, it's another argument of, of why we should have our own house in order because the 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 fight against China is going to be an economic. It it really they they get excused with their human rights and stuff because of their economic power and they, we saw it with the NBA thing a couple months ago, they they weld their economic power to get excuses for what they do human rights wise, and to expand their own power, and where, you know, when's when's the last time anybody took our own economy i know the economy is going good now but trees don't grow to the skies at some point it is going to come back down and it's going to be messy and we have national debts and these things that nobody has an appetite to deal with right now are we going to be in a position as a country and i love my country first and foremost because i do think it's a source of good in the world are we going to be in a position to be able to stand up to them economically if our own house is out of order and that's that's something that really when you talk about things that keep me up at night you know our military can still stand up pretty well but if we have a collapse an economic collapse it hurts us security wise too and i don't think people think about it enough and it's coming
1: yeah i mean i'm that's why i'm a single issue voter and that issue is economics (laughs) i mean i think i mean nothing matters nothing matters if you fuck up the economy
0: if people aren't eating, nothing else really gets Im- – I, I just had a conversation with a, a very young guy, a college-age guy, and they were, they were very sincere in what they believed. And, and I just kind of pointed out – I was like, you realize we're you know two generations from hunting and gathering, right? right? And he just kind of blinks. And I was like, no, seriously. you know, In the early part of the 19th, 20th century in the U.S., there were still plenty of people that were just hunting for, for food every day just so they could eat at night. Yeah, That wasn't that long ago. And I, I, had, I just had another conversation. Um, my father, you know, I'll be I'm a little older. Than you, I'll be 40 in May. My father went to a one room school until he was in eighth grade. And I've gone to school, my college stuff, almost all online. Think of the generation. Just think of the technological and information jump that is in one generation. We're not that far from all these things. And yet people just I don't think they understand how good our lives are now. But if the economy comes down, I don't think they understand how quickly a lot of this is going to change because people are carrying so much debt, both personally and corporately. Um, I really worry that this next recession, depression, whatever we're going to call it, I really worry that it's going to be culturally shaping to our country because I don't know culturally how we're going to handle it. And I know that's not a political thing, and it's kind of am, ambiguous to talk about, but when we're talking about things to keep you up at night, that's one of those for our country and our people that keeps me up at night. It's like, like, how are we going to handle that kind of adversity? Because we really haven't done it for since the World War II generation.
1: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I had a conversation with a, a few friends of mine, guys that are really, really bright young conservatives that I have a, a ton of respect for, yesterday, and, and they were a few of them were making the case that um, – They're talking about essentially we're having a conversation about what conservatives should be focusing on the fiscal conservatism, economic issues or the social issues, you know, stuff like abortion, stuff like, you know, all of the, the hot button social issues of the day. And a lot of them had the consensus that the most important issues, you know, morally speaking, were the social conservative issues. And I'm like. Yeah. No, like I, I I, it's not that I don't care about those things. Of course. Of course I do. Sure. Like, of course I do. But absolutely not. I mean, nothing matters if we aren't strong economically. Like foreign policy doesn't matter because we can't no. we don't conduct foreign policy. Like if our economy tanks, there is no foreign policy because no. we don't have the money to conduct foreign policy. You know what I mean? And no. we what what are we going to do if, if Marxists take over the government and ruin the economy? Like social issues like what? What, what yeah. would even matter? Like if, if we don't. If we don't have economic freedom, how can we even combat the left on these social issues? Like, fiscal conservatism, economic issues are always the most important issues. I I would argue the only issues that matter because we don't have that house in order. How do we even deal with the rest of the issues on our plate?
0: No, you know, we we talk about poverty and and when you're working with folks that are very, very needy. And I, I just took... And I'm not saying this just to pump myself up. I've done this before. A family that's very close to me, they're almost like surrogate children, um, just took them food last night, took them a bunch of food for the week. They just had a surgery in their family and that sort of thing. Like just neighbor taking care of neighbor kind of stuff. And you think about it like that's almost an aberration to some people now. And it's like when you talk to my grandparents' generation, um, my—you I'm blessed. My parents grew up very – my dad grew up poor. My mom grew up something that the English language doesn't have a word for. Poverty was, but I grew up very, very well off. I mean, you know, lower middle class, I was very comfortable. I don't think a lot of us now, especially the commentariat class that you and I are in with the Twitter and the podcasting thing, you think of our kind of social standing class. I don't think we sometimes appreciate that the norm was you had to use your neighbors just to eat every day. Yeah. And we could get in a place like that again where are we going to really watch CNN all day, every day on politics when we're. Tr- trying to figure out how we're going to feed the people around us every day and that sounds alarmist to people but it it could happen very easily and and i don't think people are prepared you look at the numbers on on personal debt and corporate debt you know um i'd have to look it up again but the thing like how few americans have five hundred dollars in the bank for an emergency five hundred dollars is a set of tires for a lot of people like literally like five hundred dollars is a grocery bill for a large family that's not you know to some people that's a lot of money Money, but very few people have that much money in the bank. You know, it, it, it's things like this that I, I'm all for talking foreign policy in Ukraine and and the. I love to discuss the Constitution and the founders. I'll argue that all day long, but if you don't do something for your community and the people beside you, none of that crap's going to matter. And then when the trouble really comes, and the trouble is going to come because it always comes, it always comes. We can read history. When the trouble comes this next time, I'm worried that we don't have those kind of community local connections and familiar connections. That's what's gonna get you through those hard times. And it's something we need to address even even as we talk politics, like man, the guy the guy next door, you know, he might need food and I might have to go to his door and knock on it and ask for a meal. So maybe we should figure that into how we adjust our politics. And that's something I've really thought about a lot lately beyond on to ideology beyond and i haven't really changed a principle in most of my adult life as far as i know i've been pretty consistent but i'm very much in the age of don't shine me on to stuff and it's like look trouble's coming we need to prepare for it and those things are things we need to think about you know apply our politics to those sorts of things so that when they come we're all ready for it
1: and not to sound like a complete partisan here but like it does it doesn't it's not beyond ideology like your political ideology no. plays into this because we, one political party has been they have spent the last 50 years trying to destroy the family and the community and replace it with the government i mean they they've literally yeah. spent since the early 1960s trying to destroy local institutions destroy the church destroy the family destroy charity you have bernie sanders out there saying that charity is evil you know the government used to confiscate everyone's yeah. property and then eliminate private charity. I mean that's that's what these people are saying and so it, it's all tied together. Like they all these things are tied together for me. As and then going back to impeachment. It's like no man, cuz you're absolutely right. Like trouble is coming. Trouble is coming. And like I, not to sound like a complete Republican hack here, but We have a better chance, we at least have a fighting chance, to maintain a strong economy when Republicans are in the White House, when Republicans are in control of government. And Republicans suck, too. I mean, they piss me off, too. They're just not as bad as the Democrats. So that's why, you know, what would it take for me to support impeaching Trump? I don't know. Like, one, he'd have to do something worse than what all his predecessors have done, and then, two, the Democrats would have to stop promoting Marxism. And... uh, Trump's not going to do anything as bad as his predecessors, at least in my estimation. And the Democrats, at least in the foreseeable future, are not going to back off of their Marx, Marxist economics. I, I just don't see it happening. So it's like, I don't think there's anything they could do. I, I honest to God, don't. And I know, you know, the elites in, in D.C., even on the right, you know, laugh when they hear. They, they make fun of people like me for saying stuff like that. You know, oh, what, you know, what, could Trump shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue? I don't know, man. I'm, I'm not. I'm not willing to let Elizabeth Warren win because yeah. Trump, Trump, Trump had it had, had an off color conversation. Like, I'm sorry. I'm just not willing to let that happen to my country. To
0: paraphrase our buddy Variety, Trump versus the left is going to win. And you know, like I said, I'm I'm at the age where I'm just like, if if you want to espouse socialism, fine, we'll debate it. But be honest with it. You have Elizabeth Warren pitch her Medicare for all program and then tanked in her polling numbers. She's talking about $54 trillion. The entire world economy is like 80 to 90 trillion,
1: right? Not Uh, our
0: economy. The world economy is 80 to 90 trillion and she's pitching something for, it's just mind numbing. It's like, um, there, there's only so much, I, I, Trump versus the left is probably going to win. And especially against this group of candidates who's not, there's not a Barack Obama in this group, which whatever you thought of his politics, he did have a charisma as a candidate. He was a good candidate. He, and obviously he won an election twice. There, There isn't one of those in this field. There's not a there's there's nobody coming to save them in this election. It's, they've got what they got now. You know, Bloomberg is <laughs> Bloomberg jumped in this thing. And my my Lord, the nanny statism of, the, of this man who's been a Republican and independent is not going to be a Democrat on top of it. So good luck with your Democratic primary with that feller. Um, They've got what they got, and Trump versus the left is probably going to win. He's got less never-Trump opposition than he probably did previously on his own side. I just – I don't – I'm pretty – if you held a gun to my head, I'd probably bet that the president's getting reelected, and I think it's going to be close just because of the division of the country. But could he win by a decently comfortable two, three, five points? Yeah, I think that's very likely to happen at this point.
1: I'm already way over time, so I have to let you go here in a sec. But sure. I, I have to—obviously, I have to mention the uh, the breaking news from yesterday, and that is Kamala Harris, senator from California, has dropped out of the Democratic primary. Man, this bitch is one of my least favorite people in politics, and it is hilarious that, that Tulsi Gabbard destroyed her entire future. Um, it, is, it is this beautiful to watch. Kamala Harris was running for emperor. She was not running for president. I mean, she wanted to ban everything she doesn't like. She wanted to do, you know, confiscate property. You know, she wanted to completely destroy, you know, saying, oh, if if Cong- my first hundred days in office, I'll, you know, I'll give whatever she said. I'll give Congress a month to ban guns or I'll just do it myself. And it's like, wow, this lady is insane. She had no support. Uh, after that moment where, where Tulsi Gabbard absolutely wrecked her. I think it was in the second debate. She was polling at 15%, and she dropped out yesterday, polling at about 2%, <laughs> which is just hilarious. So, you know, it it, it is great to see uh, the American people reject a monster like that. And then also one other point is that the pundits on CNN and MSNBC spent all day yesterday calling America racist for not supporting uh, Kamala Harris. That, it's hilarious because they're not actually calling America racist. They're not calling Trump voters racist or anything. They're actually just calling Democratic primary voters racist. I don't know if they realize that that's what they're doing, but it's really hilarious. And I'm just I'm I'm grabbing my popcorn, man. I hope they tear each other to pieces. Yes, please call your own base. A bunch of racists, okay <laughs> because you've been, call, I, I, you've been calling us racist for years erroneously now just call each other racist. I hope you all destroy each other. have fun with that.
0: I was assured that after we elected President Obama to two terms that there wouldn't be this problem anymore but um she did she had she had three men problems Senator Harris did one is she was what you're a big football fan you, you know we use the term system quarterback like this guy right. works really well at uh, Boise State but if you put him in the NFL was lost. she was a system quarterback in the in the California and I was wrong about it too I thought she'd do better than she did because she looked good on paper you know she clicked a lot of boxes she was a system quarterback out of the California public out of the California uh, Democratic Party machine so she didn't translate at all the second problem she had is every single time she had a high point um the attack on joe biden her rollout of whether she was for it before she was against it on medicare for all a couple other issues every time she had a high point it immediately was followed by her walking it back and changing her position every right. single time she did it so she'd have the high point she attacked joe biden they tweeted out and started selling the shirts before she even finished talk- talking about it i remember watching that debate and it popped up on my twitter feed and she hadn't even got it out of her mouth and they were selling the t-shirts of i'm that girl but then they turn she turns around and walks it back the next day you can't do stuff like that. People just go through it. And then the, the third one that really, really hurt um, Kamala Harris was she never found a fundraising lane at all. And she she got out of the race because she didn't have any money. She was actually quite a bit in debt um, campaign wise. So she never had the backing. And it's kind of it's kind of amazing to watch. And this brings us back to Joe Biden again and his weirdness. And I know you're out of time, but you know Biden's winning by inertia because people will leave him, go check out Harris, then go back to Biden, or they'll check out Mayor Pete and then go back to Biden it's just mind boggling that this this field is this weak that they try these people find out they can't hold up and then they wind up going back to biden because he's the best option and you just kind of shake your head and go oh my god but yeah she's she's out i'm i'm actually surprised she's out this quick i figured she'd at least take a run at iowa but the money situation must have been much worse in the end Biting that's out there now with her sister of all people running her campaign. Don't ever work with family and politics or business. There you go, kids free, free life lesson for that you. That is
1: a uh, amazing advice. Very sound advice. And yeah, like you mentioned Biden, I'll just briefly mention Biden. I mean, he's gonna, he's gonna be the nominee. unless yeah, he has some looks like, like catastrophic medical event, which he is 80 years old. And that's, you know, Hey, God bless him. Hopefully, hopefully he lives to 120, but you never know. But barring something like that, He's going to be the nominee. I mean, over the, I, I turned my Twitter off for a couple of days, you know, over Thanksgiving and stuff, and I log back on Twitter, and first thing I see is Joe Biden trying to eat his wife's hand, and talking about how he likes when children play with his leg hair. I'm <laughs> that like, That is you one people, of the
0: most bizarre clips I have ever.
1: There is a hundred million. To be fair, million, there is a hundred million Democrats in the United States. Oh man. And this, I, this is your This is your guy. This is your front runner. Out of the hundred million Democrats, this guy. This guy. Yeah. Now to oh be fair, gosh.
0: Andrew now to be fair, Andrew Yang spent either yesterday or this morning I saw a video where he was squirting Ready Whip into the mouths of men as they knelt before him. So that he's gonna get a challenge on that as being the weirdest thing of the week. But and don't even lie, you've nibbled your wife's. Fingers, just admit it. It's okay.
1: We're, not we're in, amongst friends here. Not <laughs> in, not in front of people on stage. Not in front of people. not <laughs> I'm running for president. We, and uh, and I, I with with the Andrew Yang thing. Uh, if anybody hasn't seen it, check it out. But I have to quote uh, Jesse Kelly earlier today, uh, the radio host from Texas on Twitter. He was like, Hey, look, if if a man's giving you a thousand dollars a month, he's gonna want something in return. So I, <laughs> that's I, I all I have to say about I, that. That's all I have to say about that. All right, Andrew, I gotta let you go. work and Everybody, follow you online and keep in touch and read all your stuff and all that good stuff.
0: Yeah, I'm at four for the fire at uh, Twitter. That's a, that's written out for numerical four at the fire, ordinary-times.com. A lot of really talented writers we get to work with. I'm very blessed and uh, we misspell and mistweet all kinds of words. So find us on Twitter and uh, really appreciate the time with you, Brady. And uh, enjoying your music catalog. Been working through that the I've been road tripping back and forth to West Virginia seeing people, so I've been listening to a lot of it. Good stuff with Southbound Fairing.
1: <laughs> oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And yeah, man, it was uh we tried to put this together for way too long. So we'll definitely do it again soon. Everybody follow Andrew, he's great. Everybody check out Ordinary Times. It is a great website. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Monday. No gimmicks. <laughs>